Everybody in church doing good? All right, it's an exciting day. Hey, grab your Bibles. We're going to be in 1 John again the rest of your life. At least you'll know this book really, really well. Okay, 1 John, we're in week something, 8. Yeah, 8. As we're talking about uh, th- this idea of give, love, and try, uh, this whole weekend is Compassion Weekend. If you've already sponsored a kid, don't be too nervous, okay? Just relax a little bit because you're probably thinking, oh, it's going to make me do another one. I can't make you do anything. The Holy Spirit might. I'm not even going to try. If you haven't sponsored a kid yet, this is your chance. And I think that the majority of the people at 1122 that have not sponsored a kid yet are just waiting every year for, uh, for our Compassion Weekend in order to get their kid. And so... Um, <clears throat> So I got to tell you a little bit, I I wouldn't ask you to do anything that I'm not going to do, so I already have mine, okay, we got five, like Texas Hold'em right here, these are my people, this is my hand, Uh, I got Brandy, she is in Africa, I've met her, I've been in her home, her grandma tried to give me a chicken, I tried to explain to her, Delta wasn't cool with that, she didn't know what I was talking about, so she kept her chicken, I've got another little girl named Grace, she is also from Uganda, I've met her, took her swimming, she's not a great swimmer, but she's really cute, really sweet, she was born on December 25th, that's pretty cool, her and Jesus shared the same birthday, and then, um, and then I've got Shyla. I've told you about her before. She's the little girl that I met in Brazil when we went down to, to launch to plant our church in Cadot, Brazil. Um, just an incredible little girl. When I first met her, she was not very sociable at all. She'd been molested and raped and abused by some men in her world, abandoned by her family. The only man in the world that she trusted was her pastor. We par- partnered with her pastor to plant that church in Cadot, Brazil. I went back a year later after sponsoring her. She had learned at least two English words. The first one was uncle. The second one was Joby. She hugged me. She smiled. She is a different human being because of what they're doing there in that, in that partnership. Um, this next little girl, Sonia, you remember when we had the, um, the mobile experience here out in the parking lot? Well, I did that, you know, and I thought that'd be cool for y'all, and then I just went through it thinking, well, this will be neat, and they got me, and so I sponsored another one out of the mobile experience. Actually, I took my children through there, okay? And so um, I haven't met Sonia yet. I feel like I will one day, but we've got her. And then lastly is uh, last spring when I preached on compassion, I did such a good job, such a compelling job of preaching the vision of sponsoring children, rescuing children in Jesus' name. Even though I'd already had a handful, I talked myself into sponsoring another one. And so we sponsored Pedro, okay, Pedro. And he, uh, he also lives in Brazil, so I feel like I'm going to meet him one day coming up here soon. So I just say all of that just to let you know that I'm not asking you to do anything that, that we don't do. Um, so how many of you, by show of hands, in all of our venues everywhere, how many of you sponsor a kid already? Raise them up high, loud, and proud. All right, amen. Look at that. Good job for you. Yay, yay, yay. Do you know that our church sponsors, I think about 4,000, or sponsored 4,000 uh, kids, which is crazy, all right? It's awesome. It's crazy. And when we first started off, some of you that have been here a while, you remember these days, back when we were at Beach, my philosophy just was, hey, look, at, at our church, we're going to sponsor kids, and, and, you know, we sponsor them in my family, and if you, want to, if you don't want to sponsor a kid, fine, go to somebody else's church, and they do, do whatever they tell you to do, all right, bake a casserole, but if you come here, that's just what we do, all right, and so the, one of the years, maybe you've heard about this, this rumor, I just want to clear up all the rumors, it was absolutely true that we lined the back of the sanctuary with trash cans, and every person that walked in the room, we gave them a packet instead of a bulletin, and we wouldn't take them back. And then I preached a very compelling, emotionally manipulative sermon about how guilty you should feel for being so rich and how poor these children are. And you had two options. You could sponsor a kid or throw them in the trash. And people got mad at me and, and, and I mean, so mad at me. But here's the, here's the crazy thing about when y'all get mad at me. There's two things about that. Jimmy cracks corn and... I don't care. It's like a spiritual gift. It's okay. If my wife is happy with me, I don't care who else isn't. All right, so, but what's happened over the years is that just kids' child sponsorship and rescuing children uh, from poverty in Jesus' name, it's just been so ingrained in who we are as the church of 1122 that we don't have to do the trash can thing anymore. You guys respond so well. Even when I tell the compassion folks, hey, we're going to do it, but I'm not going to really guilt them into it, so we might not sponsor a bunch of kids. You just blow it up every single time. So here's your chance once again, okay? So if you've got your Bibles, get to, to 1 John chapter 3, and I'm just going to tell you my objective, all right? Um, I'm just going to tell you my objective. My objective is not to get you to mimic what I've done. It's not. It's not to get you to do what I've done. My objective is simply to get you to rightly respond to what Jesus has done for you. That's it. That's it. And so that's what 1 John has really been all about. Remember, the, the one word that sums up this book of the Bible is assurance. 
And that the assurance in our, of our salvation is not in how many kids you sponsor. The assurance of your salvation is not how often you, you attend church. The assurance of your salvation is not, are you generous or not? The assurance of your salvation is the finished work of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. And if you know him, if you know that Jesus was generous, that Jesus loved us by coming and dying on the cross, and you've experienced that kind of grace, then I just want you to rightly respond to that in all kind of different ways, and one of those we'll unpack here. So 1 John chapter 3, verse 11. Here we go. It says this, For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. So for at least eight weeks you've heard this message. But it's not just from here. If you go all the way back to the book of Leviticus, in the book of Leviticus, God tells us that we, as followers of him, should love one another or love our neighbor. Now, we live in a world that is obsessed with love. I mean, everything's about love. The problem is, is that our world doesn't know what love is, does it? I mean, because it talks about love as a feeling. The Beatles said, all you need is love, and then they broke up. So they don't even know what it is, all right? And... You would think that the people most talking about love usually comes out of Hollywood, and it seems to me it's the group of people that have no idea what they're talking about, and yet they do the majority of the talking about love. And so, according to the scriptures, that love is not some kind of ooey-gooey feeling. Love is not something you fall into like a, like a cow pie or something. Love is not when this little chubby angel with a bow and arrow shoots you in the butt and you go, oh, that just got me. No, that's not what love is. Love is not just this thing that happens to you on the inside. But love, love is a decision of the will accompanied by action. And so, when the word says, for this is the message heard from the beginning, that we should love one another the idea here is is that love does stuff love doesn't just think love doesn't just feel love doesn't just react that love does you see for god so loved the world he didn't look at us and go oh no that god so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son you see love does stuff and so even when we think of the idea of compassion a lot of us think compassion is like a feeling But compassion without action is not love. Compassion, true compassion, is putting your love into action. And so, you've heard this from the beginning, that we should love one another. And again, in our culture, we lose so much. Because we say things like, I love tacos, and I love Jesus, and I love my wife. Hopefully not in the same way, okay? And so what God calls us to do is to love one another. It goes on to say, verse 12, We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. So if you're new to Bible study, let me introduce you to Cain and Abel. We talked about them last semester. It's all the way back in the beginning in the first book of the Bible in Genesis chapter 4. And so what what God is going to bring up here in 1 John, he's going to connect the idea of generosity and love. And he says that you and I are not to be like Cain. And let let me read you the account of Cain and Abel and then I'll unpack it real quick. In Genesis chapter 4, the Bible says this. It says, Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. And now Abel was a keeper of the sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. And in the course of time, that part's very important, in the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. And so Cain was very angry, and his face fell. And the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry, and why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. And Cain spoke to, his, spoke to Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother and, and killed him. And then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? And he said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Now listen, this is what John is talking about, okay? John is saying that here's the new command. Our command is to love one another. And don't be like Cain, because here's what Cain did. Now, all throughout, for a long, long time, I mean, you know, I've heard of Cain and Abel for a while. I've been in this for a little while. For a long time, people have asked me a lot of questions about, so why was Cain's offering unacceptable and Abel's offering acceptable? Is it just that Cain brought like fruits and vegetables and Abel brought meat and God obviously likes fruit, I mean doesn't like fruits and vegetables, but he really loves meat? Well, every normal sane person likes meat better than vegetables, right? Amen? 
Amen. Remember, apps, get up, kill, eat. All right, it's in the Bible, people. Eat your meat. All right? And some people are like, I love animals. Me too. Grilled, like Jesus. You understand? So, but it's not that. Here's the point. Here's what John wants us to know. That here's what Cain did. It says, in the course of time, Cain brought the Lord an offering. But Abel's offering, he brought him the firstborn of the flock. So in other words, what Abel did is Abel trusted God. Abel gave God first and best. Why? Because God is first, period. And there's a lot of things that God just cannot or will not do. Like, like you can never surprise God. God's never woken up in the morning and went, you know what I just thought of? That's never happened ever because he's omniscient. He knows all things at all times. Also, God will not be second. He will not be second. He will not be second. If you treat him as he's second, that's fine, but he will be first. He'll either be first as your savior or he'll be first as your judge, but he will be first and he does not put up with leftovers. And what Cain did is Cain, in the course of time, like when he got around to it, he gave an offering. In other words, after he'd brought in his harvest, he got some for him and he got some for his family and he figured out to make sure that he had enough, which is evidence that he thought that he was in charge of all things. And then with his leftovers, he brought to God. Here you go, God, I want to give you something. Which, by the way, you can't give God anything. You realize that? You can't give God anything because it's all his. It's like when your kids try to buy you a Christmas present, right? You lose money on that deal every single time, don't you? You give them $20 for them to go buy you something that you would never spend $20 on, and then they give it to you, and you'd be like, eh, I just got hosed. That's what it's like if you think we're giving God anything. It's all his, all right? Your car that you drive, your house that you live in, I promise you, one day you'll be gone. God's still here. Somebody else is in your house, all right? Does that make sense? And so, but what Abel does is Abel, from his first fruits, before he knew what all, if all the other animals are going to make it, before he did, he trusts God because God is first. And because he responds to the reality that God is first in his life, then God saw his offering as acceptable. And, and it's usually at this point where somebody, because we have a lot of guests here, a lot of visitors, it's usually at this point where somebody's like, see, I knew it. Church, all churches want is my money. Well, let me tell you why that's not true. Ready? Just look at this sermon, all right? First and foremost, at no time during this, during this series or during this sermon or during this, during this worship service are we going to pass a plate and try to take up anything from you. That if you were going to bring to God, then you've got to do that as a response to who God is and what he's done for you. That's it. That at no point will a plate come by. And here's, here's why we don't pass a plate. You know why? It's because the Bible says God loves a cheerful giver. And I don't want anybody to give under compulsion. That's what the Bible says. And I feel like putting a plate in your face might make you feel like you, you're, we're, we're compelling you to give. And I know all you people that give online will feel so guilty. The plate's coming and you're like, no, I tithe every week. And when the plate comes and you don't put anything in it, you want to be like, I give online. <laughs> right? And so we don't want any of that. <laughs> and so we'll get you t-shirts, right? I give online. So... It's fine, it's fine, whatever. So the way we do it here at 1122 is at the end of every service, we give all of us a time to respond. We respond by singing, we respond by praying, we respond sometimes in salvation, people get saved, and we respond by bringing back to God our first and our best because he first loved us by giving us his best in Jesus. And so what John is saying here is, don't be like Cain. Don't be like Cain. You see, he was greedy, and he did not trust God. He had to trust in his own doing. And here's the crazy thing is, because some of you, I, and I get it, you look at this and be like, okay, man, I ain't giving anything, but I ain't going to kill my brother. Well, he, here's just the reality. When God is not first in your life, your whole life is just out of order. You begin to move away from Jesus, and I'm telling you, every single one of us in this room are capable of all kinds of things that we never in a million years thought that we were capable of. And the only way for your whole life to be ordered is for God to be first in your life. And so essentially what he's saying here is, what John is saying is, don't be like Cain. Don't get your life out of order. You make sure that God is first in your life. Now, the other reason I can tell you that, that I'm not just trying to get your money is this. This is a compassion talk. That what we're going to do primarily at the end of, or any time during the service if you want to is I am trying to, I'm trying to show you needs around the world and get you to bring your first fruits to God here at the church of 1122. And in addition to that, sponsor some kids. Sponsor some kids. So, so let me tell you what some of my good, well-meaning church growth strategist friends tell me. 
They have told me straight up, Joby, I think you might need to back off the compassion bit a little bit. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Well, look, you got a growing church, and you're talking about going multi-site, and you're running out of room and services. You might want to just kind of lay off of that a little while, because here's the reality. If we sponsor 4,000 kids, that means over $1.8 million a year goes out of 1122, not for here. And here's my thing, man. Here's my thing. The only problem with me trying to make sure more of that stays here is this little book I read every day. Because if I do that, how am I any different than Cain? So here's, before, before we knew the church was going to grow and we were going to need millions of dollars and all that, before we knew this, what we decided to do is we just decided to do what we thought the Bible said to do. And that whatever we did for the least of these in the kingdom of God, let me tell you who the least of these are. These little kids around the world that don't have mommies and daddies to take care of them or don't have the ability to get clean water or don't have the ability to eat or get an education and need the gospel. They're the least of these. And so here's, here's what's crazy. So we just decided to do what Jesus told us to do and to take care of them, to take care of them. And here's the thing that, that I teach you individually. Individually, I teach you all the time, listen, you cannot outgive God. You cannot outbless God. And so you know what's happened as we've decided to go down this road with the church of 1122? It's also true for us corporately as a church. That, that our church, all the folks that come here, that you guys, that we together as a family, we are incredibly generous. We are incredibly generous. That we try to do as a church what we try to teach you to do as an individual family. That we tithe as a church. So in addition to the $1.8 million that goes to sponsor kids, we also give away to church plants, primarily church plants around the world, another half a million dollars or so. And what we have experienced, and then we, and then we live on margin here at the church, and then we believe that God will fully resource us to do everything that he has called us to do. And here's the just thing. I mean, you can write this down. I ain't scared. I just ain't scared. Just like Abel wasn't scared. You know why? Because he fundamentally believed that God was in charge and God deserved first and best. So, so that's why I'm saying there's not a special offering at the end of this service. We just want you to rightly respond to what God has done for you. Verse 13. So he said, do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We talked about that last week. Verse 14. We, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers Whoever does not love abides in death. Now, here's the deal. What he wants you to understand here is the gospel, that we know that we have passed out of life into death, that God saved us, that, look, that you and I are the passive agent here, that you didn't save you, that you didn't clean yourself up, that you and I, we did not make ourselves acceptable before God, but God demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we were yet still sinners, Christ died for us. That's what he wants us to know here. Verse 15, he goes on to say, And everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life, eternal life abiding in him. You see, here's the reality. is that, John says this over and over and over, you cannot simultaneously say that you love God and hate your brother. And listen, we live in the South, and we love this phrase, or at least I heard it growing up all the time, that, that talks about our personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, on the one hand, I'm all for a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And what I mean by that is that you cannot inherit your relationship with Jesus from anyone else. You can't. Like, just because your mom is a Christian doesn't make you a Christian. Just because your grandma grew up in church doesn't make you a Christian. All right, I've told you this before. Just because you stick your head in the oven doesn't make you a biscuit. That's not how it works, okay? It's not from the outside in. It's from the inside out. So at some point, every single person has to answer Pilate's question, what should I do with this man named Jesus? We all have to answer that question. And you personally have to surrender your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Yet, you cannot find the phrase personal relationship with Jesus here in the Scriptures. So what you're going to find all throughout 1 John is this, is that you cannot simultaneously love God and hate the people around you. You can't simultaneously say this vertical relationship is right if your horizontal relationships are jacked up. And then John says, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. Now, he didn't make this up. You see... John was there when Jesus was preaching a message on this, on the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus said, you have heard it said, he's talking about the Old Testament, you have heard it said that you shall not murder. And most of the people in the room were like, whew, okay, I'm not a murderer. And then Jesus raises the bar to impossibility. But I say to you, if you've got anger against your brother, now every one of us that have a younger brother, we're out. We're dead, right? I say to you, especially my brother, if you met him, you'd be like, oh, okay. And I know everybody in here is like, yeah, but you don't know my brother. I know, Jesus does. And he says, everyone who hates his brother it has already committed murder. 
And so then the Bible says that if you're a murderer, then, then you don't have eternal life abiding in you. And Jesus said, if you hate your brother, that equals murderer. Guess what? We're all murderers, okay? If you've driven on JTV at 5 o'clock, you're a murderer. Right, you just are. If you've been on the left lane in front of me going too slow, I have murdered you in my heart already. So if you take this seriously, which you should, you should look at that and be like, well, then who can make it in? No murderers or adulterers or liars or swindlers or any of that. But remember what we talked last week. If you've surrendered your life to the lordship of Jesus Christ, your identity is, not, is no longer in your activity, especially your former activity. So that if you've put your faith in Jesus, you are not a murderer anymore. You are a child of God and God has lavished his love upon you. Therefore, your old activity, even your current activity, does not declare who you are, but your identity is in Christ. So that when you surrendered your life to the Lordship of Christ, Jesus on the cross became the murderer and paid the penalty for being a murderer. And we got his righteousness. And that might sound strong, but I got it right out of the Bible. That God made him who was without sin to be sin. That God made Jesus sin. God said, Jesus, you're the murderer. And so he went to the cross and died for us that we would be made the righteousness of God. So God looks at you, even if you have hated your brother in your heart in the past, but you have trusted Christ, that means now he looks at you and he does not see murderer, now he sees son or daughter of God. Verse 16, by this we know love. Now this is a big deal. That The Bible is about to define love, all right? So you want to pay attention. Here's the definition of love, according to the scriptures. That he, that's Jesus, that Jesus laid down his life for us. That is the definition of love. That's how we know love. Now notice, it doesn't start with you. It doesn't say, and this is how we know love, because he is such a sweet person, because he or she is so nice, because when I get near them, my heart begins to flutter, because when I hear their voice, I hear French horns. None of, it doesn't explain any of that stuff. It says, this is the definition of love. That God loved you, God went first, that it is an action-oriented word here. This is what love is, that Jesus laid down his life for us, for you. You want to know if God loves you? Let me tell you, don't look around. The definition of God's love will not be found in your circumstances. Because for some of us in the room, our circumstances are awesome. That does not prove God's love. For some of us in the room, our circumstances are horrible. That does not define God, God's love. There is one action that defines the love of God according to the scriptures. That he laid down his life for you. That's it. So sometimes you're going to have good days, and guess what? God loves you. How do you know? Because Christ died for you. And sometimes you're going to have horrendous days, horrible days. And you know how God loves you? Because Christ died for you on the cross. And as I was reading through this, it's a question I just, I don't know. I began to think, how would a compassion kid know that God loved him? You know? How would a compassion kid, I mean, one of these kids, one of my kids, Shiloh, we'll take her. She's got the roughest life of the ones I know of, okay? She lives in a mud house. She might get one meal a day. Her mom abandoned her, and her mom lives in the same town, and they see each other, and her mom, Shiloh's mom, will not allow Shiloh to call her mom. She won't, won't let her do it. And then Shiloh's mom got, tried to abort her on her own, and it failed, and that's why she was born. And then she was successful with the next kid. She had a little brother, didn't make it. So how does Shiloh, who doesn't have enough to eat, or she didn't before she got sponsored, how, how would she know that God loves her? Same way you do. Because God, God demonstrated his love for us, for Shiloh, in this, that, that before her housing situation changed, before her educational situation changed, before her food situation changed, before any of that changed, before Shiloh ever did anything good or bad, that Jesus Christ died for her on the cross. So the, re the way that Shiloh knows that God loves her is the same way that you and I know that God loves us because Jesus Christ died on the cross. You see, what John is talking about here is the gospel. That's why I say I want us to rightly respond to the gospel. That before we did anything to deserve it, God looked at us and he didn't just pray for us. He didn't just feel for us. He didn't just... Oh, but he sent his son Jesus, and Jesus laid down his life for us. That's what love is. That's where it starts. And then he continues, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. You know what the implications are? That the moment that Jesus rescued you, that you and I became a part of the rescue team. That's what that means. If that was real, 
If you've actually surrendered your life to the Lordship of Christ, if you knew that you were crooked and depraved and dead in your own transgressions and God looked at you and did not condemn you or judge you but sent His Son on a rescue mission to save you. And listen to me, church. I'm not talking about somebody else. I'm talking about you. And you realize that. I mean, at the soul level to the point where you say, okay, I admit it. I've been the Lord of my own life. I believe that when you died on the cross, it counted for me. Jesus, I confess you as Lord. That very second, before you learn a Bible verse, before you get to attend church one more time, before you join a disciples group, before you've done anything else, then you, in that moment, become a part of the rescue team. Why? Because this is what love is. Because you laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Now, I think it's interesting that it uses the terminology lay down. Because here's the reality. Just something I was thinking about. You probably will not give, get an opportunity to lay down your life for anybody. But you know what you have an opportunity to do today? You have an opportunity to lay down some stuff in your life for the sake of some other people that need life. You know what? Like you might need to uh, lay down a really expensive coffee. <laughs> Just get, lay down three of those a month so that you can pick up one of these kids. You see what I mean? That, that, that you and I as Christians are called to lay down our lives and it may mean take a bullet. Maybe. Probably not, but I tell you what it will mean. It'll, it'll be lay down some things that we don't really need so that other people can have everything that they need. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Verse 17, so it's because of that now, because of the gospel. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brothers in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in? So I feel like a big part of what my job is as your pastor, because I love you so much, because I've been there and I've seen it with my own eyes, I feel like a big part of my job is to help you see the, the needs of this world. Did you know that today, today, while you and I were doing whatever we were doing, that 30,000 children died today from preventable diseases? Preventable diseases. And that's not to make you feel guilty. That's just to let you know we live in a world with incredible need. You know what, it primarily the preventable diseases that, that primarily takes kids' lives? Things like malaria, things like diarrhea, which leads to dehydration. So something that we get, and we just have to be like, oh, dang, i got to run to Walgreens. And they never make it out. See, this world has some serious needs. And then the Word says, if anyone has the world's goods, guess what, I've got good news for you. By and large, this room, we have the world's goods. We got a lot of the world's goods. Do you know this? I've told you this before. I hope you know this. Do you know that you're rich? I mean, that you are rich. Did you know if you make $25,000 that you're in the top 2% of wealthiest people in the whole world? And see, I never, at some point, one year, I'm going to say that, and somebody's going to stand up and be like, see there, baby, 25K, told you we's knocking it down. <laughs> Woo, baby, a super size of the night, all right? It's just true. It's just true. And because we're rich, and listen, if there's, if there's some of you in here and you can't meet your own needs, that's why we have the needs board out there. We're going to be a church that ministers to you, that walks with you. We support all kind of local programs to make sure the people right here in our own community have their needs met. But if you make $25,000, $25,000, you're the top 2% richest people in the world. And the problem is, you know, you don't feel rich, but rich is not a feeling. Rich is a fact, right? And if you're rich, you do what rich people do. You know what rich people do? If you match your belt with your shoes, you're rich. You're, that's what rich people do. You know what I hear rich women do? Rich women have some homes inside their homes just for their clothes. Did you know this? There are three-story homes that rich women have. They got a basement for the shoes, and they got a first floor for the pants, and then they got a second story for the shirts, and then up in the attic they have all kind of fluffy things, okay? And here's what rich women do. I've heard, I've heard, all right, read about it times. That, that rich women walk into their homes for their clothes and they look around and rich women say this, I have nothing to wear. That's what rich people do. And if that's you, if you do that, congratulations, man. You are rich. You should be excited. The Bible, nowhere, nowhere in the scriptures, I'm telling you, I've read it from cover to cover, nowhere in the scriptures does the Bible say that you should feel guilty for being rich. Now, now you... You might have to feel guilty about the way you spend what God's given you. That's a different sermon. But you, you should not feel guilty about being rich. And hey, and this, men do the same thing. You know what rich men do? Let me tell you. I don't know if you've heard of this, but you know that rich people have houses for their cars. You know about this, right? 
Like, there's homeless people all over the world, but rich people, they're like, yeah, I know there's homeless people, but my cars need a house. And you know what some rich people do? Like me, I'm one of these rich people. I'm so rich, I didn't know what to do with my money. I bought so much stuff that I, I had to make my cars be homeless and move them out of their house because I had to put all my stuff. It filled up my house, and I put some of my stuff in their house. Now I got homeless cars, right? Some people get so rich that they, they go multi-site with their richness, and they get another climate-controlled home just for their stuff. And, and they put their stuff there, and they never visit it, ever, 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 and they just lock it up and air condition it. That's what they do. See, those are rich people problems. Rich people do things like, um, and we've done this, all right? I'm these kind of rich people. Rich people, only rich people in the world do this, that they take appliances in their house that work, and they take them out and throw them away, and then they put other appliances that work in there, different color. Like, oh, we rich. That's what rich people do. You know what rich people do? Rich people go out to eat dinner, and, and, and they eat, and they're like, I, I don't think I can eat all this. You want to take it home? Yeah. And they take it home, and then they, then they keep it cold for four days before they throw it away. That's what rich people do. Some of the only people in the whole world get to do that are sitting in this room right now. So the good news is this, is that you're rich. Problem is, do you don't feel rich? So the Bible says, if you've got the world's goods, guess what? That's us, talking to us. Listen, this is crazy. I think this is crazy. In, in a book called Twilight of the Elites, this guy, Christopher Hayes, he quotes this survey by Fidelity. Fidelity surveyed a group with at least $100 million in investment assets, excluding estate and retirement. So here's what that means. These folks have $100 million, I mean, a, a million dollars that they are investing and trying to reproduce and make more money with. And that doesn't count the real estate that they have, the home or homes that they live in. And it doesn't, it doesn't account for like their, you know... 401k and all of that kind of retirement investment. If you pull that off after that kind of stuff, they've still got a million dollars that they've got in the stock market. All right, so they surveyed those people, and 42% of them did not feel rich. When surveyed, are you rich? They went, no, they're not rich. And you go, you got a million dollars. And they're like, I know, I only got a million dollars. Now look, I look at that and be like, you crazy. But here's the thing. If I took you to Shiloh's community, and I said, hey, Charlotte, come here, I got to talk to you. All right, I need a translator. Listen, I surveyed my whole church. And do you know, I, I asked every person there that had education, that had air condition, that had more than one pair of shoes and a car, do you feel rich? And 86% of them said, no, we're not rich. Charlotte would be like, what? But you got two pair of shoes and air condition, I've heard of that. And you get to eat every day and you have a car. See, here's the thing. <laughs> Every one of us in here, or somebody's Bill Gates. There's somebody around the world that would look at us and be like, whoo, man, you got it made. But I'm telling you. Now listen, this is not to make you feel guilty about being rich. In fact, it, Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6, he tells him this. Command the rich. In other words, he says, hey, Timothy, when you preach to rich people, here's what I want you to tell them. He says, don't be haughty, which just means, hey, don't think you're rich because you think you're awesome, okay? That's God's blessing upon you. So don't brag about it. Don't, don't, don't think you're awesome. And don't put your hope in the uncertainty of riches. So everybody that had real estate in 2008, all right, amen, it's uncertainty of riches. But put your hope in God, here's what it said, who richly blesses for you to enjoy. So you should enjoy your riches. You really should. Now, Jesus said it's better, it's better to give than to receive. So a big part of the way we enjoy our riches is by blessing people. This does not mean that you can't come out of your house except on Triple Coupon Tuesday and you got to live broke. Listen, my friend Kevin from Compassion's in this weekend, and we're going to go out to dinner, okay? We're going to hang out this week. And we go, every time we go, he, he pays the bill. I don't know why, but I know he's going to. And so listen, when we go out to eat, I'm going to enjoy it. I know there's starving people around the world, but it ain't going to be, be me today. You know what I'm saying? I'm gonna, and when he's with me, you know how I choose what I'm going to eat? I don't even look at it. I just go, the most expensive thing, $23, that's it. Bam, give him the bill. Woo! And then they bring it, and I cut it up, and I eat it, and I enjoy it. And you know why I can enjoy it? Because God has richly blessed us to enjoy it. But if I was doing that at the expense of bringing my first and best to God here and at the expense of these kids, then the love of God might not be in here. You get that? So again, this is not feel guilty because we are richly blessed. But we are richly blessed in order to be a blessing. I think I've said this almost every year that we talk about compassion. That God didn't give you all that you have so that you could have all that you want but so that others could have all that they need. 
I mean, think about it. Or just ask yourself the question. Do you think God gave you everything you have for you? Or do you think he gave you everything you have so that everybody in this world could have everything they need? Because let me ask you this. If you're a parent and you give, it's usually the oldest, and you give the oldest like a whole box of goldfish. And you say, hey, why don't you share that with your sister? And then later on, you walk in. And he's hoarding up the goldfish. Get away from my goldfish. What do you do? You'd be like, boy, it ain't your goldfish, huh? Who do you think bought those goldfish? That's me and your mama bought those goldfish, right? Right? One of the questions I would ask you, if you were God, would you give you more money? You know why I believe God's blessing this church? You know why I believe God blesses my family? Do you know why I I think God blesses a lot of people in this room? Because he knows that you've been trustworthy with what he's given you. Because the opposite is true, too. If I walk in and my son is just being generous with the goldfish. Here, everybody has some goldfish. Take as many goldfish as you want. <gasps> I think I might run out of goldfish. I don't worry about it. Guess what? I say, the goldfish supply is endless, my boy. I will get you some more goldfish. Why? Because he is doing with the goldfish what his dad wants him to do with the goldfish. I believe the same thing to be true with all of your finances. You see, do you really think That God gave you everything that you have so that you could get everything that you want or so that others could have everything that they need. Soren Kierkegaard, he's a Danish philosopher, he says this. He says, riches and abundance come hypocritically clad in sheep's clothing, pretending to be security against anxieties, and they become then the object of anxiety. They secure a man against anxieties just about as well as the wolf that is put in tend to the sheep. So you think we're going to hold on to money because it's going, to, it's going to cure all your worries. And then what he's saying is, and then you actually begin to worry about the thing that you were holding on to to keep you from worrying. Dietrich Bonhoeffer is one of my favorite preachers. Um, he was around in World War II. He put together a team of people to try to kill Hitler. That's my kind of preacher, okay? I like that guy. I can't wait to meet him in heaven. They killed him, but, you know, whatever. He's a good dude. He says this. He says, earthly goods deceive the human heart into believing that they give it security And freedom from worry. But in truth, they are what cause anxiety. Every one of us, most of us have experienced this. Like, for example, how many of you had like just a clunker of a car? Like your first car. I mean, it was just a hoopty beater. Like you prayed, dear God, please let it crank up. And it would be like, I might, I might, I might, I might, I might, I might. Right? All right. My first car was a 79 Mercury Marquis. How many of you have ever never heard of a Mercury? All right. All right. They don't even make them anymore, I don't think. I don't know, maybe they do. It was about the size of this room, all right? We could have all gotten in it together. Now, the good part about it, so it was a 79 Mercury Marquis. My friends nicknamed it the Naked Chicken because that was the color. It was about the color of a nude chicken, you know? And, uh, and it was a beater, man. I mean, it was a beater, and it would fly. I mean, a big V8, you know, and you could use it, and it turned sideways. It was great. And then the interior, you know, it had this little real nice felt interior that lost elasticity like in 1982. So we drive down the road, it was like a lad, you know, a whole new world. You'd be like, Rrr. and then uh, the front end was out of line. So if you went over 30 miles an hour, boy, it'd just jiggle you to death. And the, the AC didn't work. If you turned on the AC, the whole inside would fill up with smoke. That's just how it would go. All right. And then so so that was the car I drove. And so here's the thing. You know what? I never worried about with that car, door dings. I don't even know if I got one. You could key it. You could crash into it. In fact, we used to bump into each other in high school just to mess around, right? Be waiting at the stop line, like, boom, turn around. And some guy in his, like, you know, Dotson would bump into me. Ah, we'd put it in reverse and argh, play tug of war with the car. Didn't matter at all. Then you know what? A couple years ago, I bought a truck, new truck, Ford. Got it, all right? And guess what I do now? You know what I do? I worry. Now, it's safer. It is. It's reliable. It's not going to break down. But guess who worries about door dings? Now, I got to park 17 blocks away, and I walk out, and I'm mad at somebody. Why are you parking out here with me, man, walking a long way? And let a pigeon fly over my truck. I'm like, get on out of here, right? And then you get mad at people. You pull up at the mall, and you're like, what are wrong with you people? Park between the lines. And then Gretchen's like, maybe the person before him messed it up. I'm like, woman? Uh-uh, not right now, right? Until she got a new car, and now where's she? She's parked out there, and... Egypt with me. That's just how it works, you see? I'm worried about some stuff I never even worried about. Do you think God gave you money to worry? No. You think God's given you worry? No. Maybe God gave you some stuff and me some stuff so we can bless some other people. You see, I think that's why Jesus said it's more blessed to give than receive. And so my job, my job, is to do a couple of things to help you understand, hey, you know what? I think I've got the world's goods. 
I think I might have more than I need. Now, I'm not against stuff. You should have some stuff, enjoy some stuff, all right? But you shouldn't spend it all on you. If you do, then you're greedy. Like Cain was greedy. Nobody thinks they're greedy. But I guarantee you, if you think it's all yours, you're greedy. And so my, my job, my job is to let you know, hey, I've got, I've got some of the world's goods. I could do something about one or two or three of the 30,000 kids that die every day from preventable disease. I could stop one, okay? And my job is to let you know how rich you are and let you know what the world's needs are. And one of my favorite things to do is watch y'all serve one another. That's it. And I, I, have, I have experienced an extreme amount of joy in, in sponsoring these compassion kids. Let me read this quote from John Piper. Um, he, he wrote this in his book called Don't Waste Your Life, which is a great book. It's a great book. You should buy it. You should read it. Especially, especially if you ever think one day, if your dream is to just, you know, collect seashells one day, the whole point of the book is this. Forgive us if we ever show up in heaven and say, God, here's our seashell collection when he put us on this earth to fight in this war against our great enemy. And here's what he says. He says, I am, I am wired by nature to love the same toys that the world loves. I start to fit in. I start to love what others love. I start to, start to call earth home. And before you know it, I'm calling luxuries needs. See, that one gets me. Like, like when I say, man, I need some shoes. I got shoes. I mean, I got them on right now, you know? You know how few people in the world have more than one pair of shoes? You know my friend Peter Abiermana? That he didn't get his first pair of shoes till he was, uh, like, maybe a teenager or something like that, okay? And I began to think, oh, man, I need another hat. I need, all right? And so I'm like Dr. Piper, that I'm calling luxuries needs, and I'm using my money just the way unbelievers do. I begin to forget the war. I don't think much about people perishing, Missions and unreached people drop out of my mind. I stop dreaming about the triumphs of grace. I sink into secular mindset that looks first at what man can do and not at what God can do. It's a terrible sickness. And I thank God for those who have forced me again and again toward a wartime mindset. I think that's my job. I think every year a part of my job as your pastor is to force you again and again to a wartime mindset. And what he's talking about here is like World War II when the whole country decided together that the war against evil was greater than anybody's individual wants. And that individuals decided to give up lots of luxuries and individuals decided to give up lots of wants so that the country could have what it needed to fight against tyranny. And what Piper says, and what the Bible says, is that you and I have been born into a war. Now, the good news is, I've read to the end of the book, you're on the winning side if you're with Jesus. But in the meantime, what we have been called into is not to be lured into the merry-go-round of normality and just do life the way everybody does life, to think more is mine. But we need to consistently think about what Jesus said, that whatever we've done to the least of these brothers, that we've done unto him. Or what John says here, if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brothers in need yet closes his heart against them, how does God's love abide in him? He's saying it just doesn't make sense. Because if the love of God is in here, it's what we talked about last week with the fruits, all right? If the love of God is in here and he loves these little children, then the way he's going to love them, one of the ways is through you and through me saying, hey, I want to rescue you from poverty in Jesus' name. And then here's how he closes. He says, little children, that's us. Let us not love in word or talk. It would be a waste of time if we just get in here and just let me talk about it for a while. Let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. So here's the point. The number one reason to rescue a child from poverty in Jesus' name is because Jesus rescued you. That's it. That it wasn't just in word or talk, but Jesus in deed and in truth. He went to the cross for you and for me. And because he did that, if he lives in here, then we, we need to lay down stuff for our brother. So here's the action steps. It's this simple. If you've not sponsored a kid yet, I would love for you for $38 a month to sponsor a kid. We've got them. We've got um, tables in the back. You can sponsor them there. All right. And it's super easy. Now, one of the things that we always ask for at 1122, we ask, we always ask for the, for the, for the hardest deal. Okay. Give us what nobody else wants because we'll do it because it's not a competition, but we're winning. That's what I'm saying. Okay. And so we ask for the high priority kids. And so they are marked with this, it says priority right here. I would encourage you to pick up one of these. These are kids that have not been sponsored for months and months and months, okay? 
And so if you haven't sponsored a kid yet, for $38 a month, you can sponsor a kid. Okay? And, and I don't know how Compassion does it. It's really kind of amazing to me. But they feed them. They educate them. They give them a uniform. The biggest thing to do is give them hope. It's just, it's just incredible. And, and above everything else, it's through a local church. And so these kids get the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we're not just trying to feed people and make them comfortable on their way to an, a Christless eternity. We're first and foremost trying to tell them about the love of Jesus. But you can't just love their heart. You've got to love their mind and their soul and their strength and everything. Okay? So if you haven't sponsored a kid yet, then at the end of the service and at the end of all of our services this weekend, just go to one of the tables and there's workers there that will help you do that. Now, if you've already sponsored a kid, this is what I want you to do. You can get another one if you want. That's great. I want you to get out your notes because this is cool. Because I was thinking, man, I was praying about this. I was like, Lord, all right. How do we not love in just word or talk, but in deed and in truth? So the way that we love in deed is easy. Sponsor a kid, $38 a month. Indeed, you have loved them. So 4,000 times our church has loved God by loving these kids, indeed, by writing a check. So if you've done that, way to go. But it says you can't end there, that you've also got to love them in truth. So here's what I want you to do. If you've already sponsored a kid, then you, then you go to the back tear-off part of your bulletin here, okay? And it's perforated, which is Hebrew, for to tear away, all right? I think. I don't... Maybe. Now, this is how cool this is. That, that I want you to write your kid a letter, and here's what I want you to write. I want you to love them in truth. I want every single one of us to write your testimony to your kid. That's how you're going to love them in truth. You're going to share the gospel with your kid. Now, here, here's the thing. If your kid's too little to read, let me promise you what's going to happen. At the local project where your kid is, the parents or the, the, the workers there at the church, they're going to leverage your story to share the gospel with this kid. And they, the kids keep these things, I mean, until they graduate from the program, all right? So that's what I want you to do. Also, when we leave here, you can go out into the courtyard, and this is really, really cool. You can just tell them your name, and they already have the name and project number and address of your kid, if you already sponsor one, and, and you'll slap it on here, and you can drop it off here, and we will mail it to you. Also, they've got some, like, Polaroid picture camera things, and they're going to take your picture, so you can slap your own picture right here, and you can do all this right now, right after the service. And you might be saying, but what if I sponsor a brand new kid? Then this, this material is in that packet, and you can do that tonight. And then there's a few of you in here, and you say, well, you know what? I, okay, I don't have, I don't have the goods. I, there's no way I can possibly sponsor a kid, so how can I participate? Well, we as a church have LDP kids, Leadership Development Program kids, that are in college. And so if you don't have a kid to write to, then we want you to go out to the courtyard. I mean, right after the service, we want you to go out to the courtyard, and we want you to write our LDP kids a letter and what I want you to write them is this I want you to write them your testimony I want you to share the gospel of how Christ rescued you and that's why you wanted to sponsor them and that that's how we're going to love these kids in uh, in deed and in truth and here's what I think is just so cool ready so if you sponsor a kid okay if you sponsor a kid like Pedro my man here that I sponsored so here's what's going to happen Compassion's got a little paperwork to do, you know, and, and, uh, and then in the next few weeks or so, what will happen is at that project that some compassion worker will go up to the kid that, you, that you're going to pick off the tables today, and they're going to go to that kid, they're going to say, hey, Pedro, come here, I've got to talk to you for a second. And in that moment, Pedro's going to think he's busted. Just like when you got called out by the principal, remember? Come on, that's 1122. You're like, yeah, I remember, right? A lot. So, and you're thinking, what did I do? And here's the problem. When he gets outside, that teacher's going to look at him and say, hey, Pedro, congratulations. Somebody in America at the church of 1122, they love you. And now you have a sponsor. And they're going to get that good news. Another translation of good news is gospel. And then, guess what's going to happen? I believe this with everything I'm made of. I believe I believe that if you will just do what I'm asking you to do, what John said to do, to not just love in word or in talk, but in deed and in truth, and you, I mean, before you leave here, you will write out your testimony and share the gospel with these kids. Here's what I believe to be true, based on what the Scripture says, that there will be a day, a hundred years from now, where everybody that trusts in Christ will be standing at His throne. Every tribe, every nation, every tongue, all kinds of different people. 
And I believe that you might look over. There's some people in this room, and you're going to look over, and you're going to recognize somebody. And it's going to be your compassion kid. And you, maybe you'll have the opportunity to run up to them and be like, man, I'm so glad you're here. I've prayed for you for so long. How did you get here? And they said, I read a testimony by you. And you told me about Jesus. That you didn't just love me with talk and words, but you loved me in deed and in truth. And God used your story to lead me here. And you might think, oh, that's crazy. But didn't somebody lead you to Jesus? Right? Didn't somebody lead you to Jesus? The old retired JV football coach told me his story. That's what led me here. A bunch of you heard my story. That's what led you here. So, so why not you? Maybe you. You know, if somebody led you to Jesus, maybe you could be like that somebody for one of these kids. So, little children, let us not love in word or in talk, but in deed and in truth. I know it seems crazy. Nothing's impossible for our God. So in just a few minutes, when I say amen, you're going to go to the tables. Some of you just need to sit right there. Go ahead and perforate, tear away this part. Start writing out your testimony. Then go out to the courtyard. Get the sticker that has your, kid, that has your kid's information on it. Drop it off. And we're going to send the gospel. We, this in this church, we're going to send the gospel to the ends of the earth. And then, if you haven't sponsored a kid yet, then you go to the tables. And you love indeed and in truth. Please stand and pray with me. Our good and gracious Heavenly Father, God, I thank you so much that when you loved us, God, you didn't just feel something. You did something. You sent Jesus to pay the price for us. God, we thank you for the good news of the gospel. And may the gospel in us compel us to love one another just as you have loved us. Lord, I thank you that I get the incredible privilege to play a role in one of the most generous churches in our entire country. God, I thank you for the leadership of this church. God, I thank you for the elders, the overseers of this church. Where we have declared, God, we are not going to be like Cain. We are not going to hoard it up for ourselves just in case there's not enough. But God, we trust you with everything. So God, I pray that you would move like crazy. You would move in hearts. God, you would break down barriers. And Lord, I know that the gospel will not go out in vain. That if our people will be obedient to what you have called us to do, and just share the good news of what Jesus has done in our life, God. We already praise you for the kids that you're going to draw unto yourselves. By ordinary average stories of people like us doing extraordinary things through an extraordinary God. God, we love you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. At the end of every service, we respond, right? We respond by singing. We respond by writing letters this time, sending out the gospel. We respond by bringing our first and best, our tithes and offerings, because he first loved us by giving us his best. And we respond by coming to the altar, casting all our cares upon him because he cares for us. Let us respond.